Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Natural uh, Physique Podcast and in today's episode, he needs no intro, it's none other than WMBF 2022 Men's Physique World Champ, um, Charlie Brisbane. Charlie, how are you doing? Very good, thank you mate. Nice to to be on and yeah, I hope obviously we'll go through some bits that plenty of people that are either competing this year or thinking about competing will find valuable. But yeah, looking forward to talking about some of it. Oh, epic, epic. Um, we're obviously talking a little bit um, off air and um, we we're chatting a bit about your kind of bodybuilding journey because you've been competing for quite a while now. Um, so would you be able to give the listener just a brief intro into yourself and how you got into this this whole kind of mad journey of bodybuilding? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. So, I mean, training-wise as a whole, like I kicked off with it a long time ago now it makes me feel very old in in the game but I started training back when I was probably about 13 in that kind of generation when it wasn't really cool to go to the gym pre-social media stick your dumbbells under your bed as a bit of a dirty secret that kind of like that kind of vibe I'm now what 31 so yeah over 15 years of training um one way or another and then Actual competing wise, I did my first show back in 2014, which back then the big federation and one of the early federations really was the UK BFF. And I think it was the second year that men's physique was, was out there as a proper category. I liked the idea of it, didn't really know much about it. So I walked into it a little bit blind. The idea of like, natural bodybuilding untested wasn't on my radar at all um so went and did i think the first show in in leicester at one of their regional shows um did another one in warrington that got me to qualify for the british and it was probably that year at the the british that i it kind of clicked for me that there was such a thing as drug tested and yeah. non-drug tested when you saw kind of the the gulf in in standard between the guys that were using or potentially using drugs and the guys that weren't. Um, and yeah, then that was what made me think, okay, right. Well, there must be a, an avenue you can do go down as a, as a natural guy who wants to be drug tested and be up against other guys that are drug tested. Um, so then, yeah, I competed 2014, 20, uh, 2015, 2016 was when I went down the route of doing um, natural men's physique with the UK DFBA. I had a little dabble with standard kind of weight class bodybuilding as well with the UK DFBA and the NPA. Um, did quite well as a middleweight, particularly with the NPA. Got to the British in the British final. I think I came third one year, came second the next. Um, and then left it for a year, came back to it in 2018. Um, in 2018, again, it was bodybuilding with the MPA and doing a class the BMBF put on in 2018 called the men's athletic class, which is kind of like a men's physique class, again, with relative success. And then I parked it all, left it alone for, well, not really with a plan of when, when and where and if I was going to come back to compete, um, but yeah, four years later, we rolled around to last year and saw 
actually, I think it was Harry Ranson and Josh Crogan who had done very well uh, with the WMBF. And I didn't realize the WMBF at that point had started kind of a, a UK based side to their federation. And looking at how those results panned out, I thought, you know what? I think I could go and do quite well based on what was what was doing well, I suppose, in the, the classes that I would be in as a men's physique guy. So that's what took me into having a crack at it again in 2022. Went to the British and came second in the short class there, which obviously then qualified me for the the Worlds. And yeah, one, one thing led to another and I won the class and won the overall at the Worlds. And that, that brings us to where we are today. Yeah, that that's an epic journey to hear. And it's um it's cool to hear that you've competed both in bodybuilding and men's physique. Because I think all the guests I've had on, the majority of them have either just competed with the one category. So um I guess we could talk a little bit about that because we were we were chatting about off air a little bit. Um and it's it's something that plays on my mind as well, being a slightly, slightly bigger <laughs> men's physique athlete. Um, and kind of going to the worlds and how you felt going into that show. Um, obviously, you were, you were talking about before. Um, yeah, tell, tell me about that experience and, and, yeah, maybe a little bit about the experience at the worlds as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I guess we start with the worlds first. So the worlds was crazy experience. will go down as kind of the absolute highlight of my career, if you want to call it that, in uh, – in natural bodybuilding to, to whatever degree with bodybuilding, with men's physique. Um, it's a big thing, as you know, to kind of even just number one, get there and obviously qualify to be deemed as good enough to go. And then it's actually quite a big decision to go, you know what, I'm going to go and give it a good crack. Cause as we all know, you're not in natural bodybuilding to be making money. Like it's going to cost you a lot of money along with other things, stress, time, and whatever else. Like, so it was one of those things I had to take a little bit of time a week or two after getting the invite to really think, right, am I going to go for it? Will it get past my missus? Will she be okay with it? <laughs> because it is a big, big stress that we'll talk more about further on, but obviously it's not just you. It's anyone else around you that kind of has to suffer a bit when it comes to prep. Um, but yeah, went out there with the intention of obviously trying to do as well as I could. I've never, been of the attitude of turning up to compete in anything for the sake of just turning up to compete. If I'm turning up to compete, I'm turning up to try and win. And that's exactly obviously what my attitude was going into the worlds. I knew from the British to the worlds, which was about six weeks, I knew there was changes I could make based on how I felt I looked and some feedback I had from the judges. So that I knew there was tweaks and improvements I could make in that time. If there was if, for instance, I'd had the, the feedback that I could do with coming in a bit bigger, I'm really not going to make that difference in six weeks. But the feedback I got was encouraging enough to go, you know what, it's worth going to the Worlds and giving it a punt. Yeah. Uh, but very surreal experience. Like It was great to obviously be a part of a very solid team, like a lot of guys and girls in that team that still speak to now. And there was just generally a really good um team morale which makes a huge difference when you do something as selfish and as isolating as prep to compete um 
the actual Worlds itself was run really well. It was really nice that there wasn't like any of the COVID restrictions really or anything, which obviously there would have been the, the year before for, for you guys. Yeah. Um, and yeah, mate, I mean, it will, like, like I say, go down as the, to date, the, the absolute highlight and a real tough one to beat for me personally, if I'm doing anything beyond when it comes to, to competing. And just to kind of answer your question briefly or touch on the kind of bodybuilding and men's physique side of things, like it has been great to do both because both bodybuilding and men's physique and particularly men's physique has evolved a lot since I started back in 2014. And even if you look back at like, like when the Ryan Terry's of the world were competing back in like 2013, 14 and the first like Mr. Olympias. And although they were obviously not drug tested, you look at like what that category is now, it's like night and day difference in yeah. the, the, the type of physiques that are winning, the extremes of how big and how lean they want guys. And even in the natural side of things, there has been an evolution over the years in terms of what is deemed kind of, men's physique and what is uh what is bodybuilding and what the line is that most federations want to have between the two um because yeah. at the end of the day like you you can get penalized for looking like too much of a bodybuilder when you're competing in men's physique coming in too big or potentially too lean or just posing a little bit too much like a bodybuilder will work against you um the, the bodybuilding guys don't necessarily get hit with that same stick but with men's physique that is definitely a big thing yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we were talking about it is it is the complete sort of package, complete look that um, what the judges are looking for in terms of men's physique. So if you are that bigger guy, you know, and you're coming in hard posing, um, you um, you maybe don't look like a men's physique athlete. You know, you don't belong on a cover model like type magazine thing, like it can all work against you. So it's like these smaller, um, smaller little things. And I guess it's, it really is quite a subjective category. I mean, bodybuilding itself, very subjective, but especially maybe a category like men's physique and maybe bikini as well. It's the same sort of things. Mm, absolutely. I think like bodybuilding is always going to be a, a bit more black and white as a category. Like, like you say, it's still subjective to a degree, but you're not going to get penalized for coming in too big or too shredded at yeah. the end of the day with men's physique. Like there is so many little details and even down to like you, you do need to con consider things like, well, are you, are you smiling enough? Are you smiling too much? Like, are you, um, are you tensing without looking like you're tensing too much? Like you're not going to get marked down in bodybuilding for anything kind of from the neck up or yeah. overposing really so yeah men's physique and bikini like you say as a kind of female equivalent there is a lot a lot more subject subjectivity yeah. and you you've got to kind of be prepared for that going going into it and why that's why it's so important again like we were talking about a little bit off air like it's why it's so important you do your research into what the the federations want from you as a men's physique competitor because it does vary from federation to federation and like we were saying even from year to year in terms yeah. of what they they deem as the standard of being kind of too big or too shredded so it is important you keep up to date with that kind of thing yeah i, th I think a good starting point is like for, for any any of the listeners competing um i think a good starting point is just following these federations on 
Instagram or social media and you, you're getting the winners coming in. Um, like obviously, I think the first show of the natural season kicked off last weekend. It was the UK DFBA show. And you've seen some of the guy, I think the guy who won, he 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 was a big guy as well, but yeah. conditioned, a big up top. Um, and typically a men's physique, I think small tight waist, like if you've got a big blocky waist. Again, that might go go against you. So you can be big, but it's being being big in the sort of right places and stuff. I think is is an important important point to make as well. Yeah, and if you're like a, someone similar to me in physique, that although I'm quite dense, and that's great in some instances, like it also doesn't make it the easiest to keep your waist as as small as possible in relation to everything else, and you've got to be very aware of like what your strengths and weaknesses are as a competitor in that sense. So, I mean, one of the big things with the the WMBF and to be honest, any of the federations in men's physique is like, how much can you get away with twisting your hips on a front on pose, yeah. little things like that, that if you can get away with it, great. And it will make your waist look smaller. And that's important for someone like me to know how I can make those tweaks, but equally, there was guys at the Worlds in 2022 that they were doing too much twisting in their front arm poses and they were getting what looked like marked down for it. There, there was yeah. judges that were asking multiple times for them to stand front on, stand front on, but their front on and their quarter turn was essentially the same thing. And yeah. only so many times in a row you want to piss a judge off. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's not going to work in your favour. This, so, this actually threw me off because um, when, when I was competing, like, I pose completely different now, but when I was competing back in 2021 at the Worlds, I saw every single men's physique guy with the twist at the hips and, and a pretty exaggerated one at that. And obviously yeah. the judges were just like, right, everyone's doing it. We're just not going to penalize anyone because everyone's doing it. Um, and I, I went on and like thinking, right, I need my hips need to be square to judges. That's... I think I remember reading that in some of the criteria or something like that. Um, and again, I posed that way, hips square on to the judges, got my feedback later, you need a bit more of a taper. So um, it is. I, I think that's become more evident um, as the years have gone on that, yeah, just a slight twist, but you, your, your front pose and your side pose can't look exactly the same. And a lot of guys do have basically the same, same pose yeah. for front and side. I think the big thing that worked for me that I noticed was if you if you at least have your feet facing forwards or in a forward direction, you can get away with dipping the hip and twisting from the hips. But as soon yeah. as you twist from the feet, that's what then makes the judges look at you and go, "Ah, oh, he's he's standing side on. That's not yeah, that's not what we want." So you can get away with quite a lot as long as you've got your feet facing relatively forward and just dip into the hip yeah and that that's something that obviously you've got to practice you've got to have pretty good mobility in your low back <laughs> to get the best from kind of tweaking your poses in that sense yeah um, the mobility is as much as it's not kind of like the sexy side of it like that's important like if you walk on there stiff as a board and you can't pose and you can't kind of hold a, a, a good kind of lap spread on your back pose and all these kinds of things, like you're going to get marked down. It doesn't matter how big or how shredded you are. So you, you do have to kind of be be mobile and be able to kind of look effortless in those poses. And like I say, if you're not willing to work on that, then 
doesn't matter how big or shredded you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's an overlooked factor, actually. I mean, I struggle in, on one particular side, and that's because of mobility. So something I've been implementing a lot more of uh, this time around. around. Um, mm. But it does make a massive difference to your posing. It's like, as you say, small tweaks can make a huge difference. So I think that's something for the listeners to take away. It's like, that's your mobility when it comes to posing. Do, do a few, like, do a mobility session i guess before you go and pose um i think that's a big big point that um yeah um but anyway um this is this this isn't actually on the question list but um i thought i'd ask you anyway um because i know you, you you're quite a seasoned competitor um and you competed since 2014 you're probably used to like the physical um hardships of a prep i guess you could say towards the later end um, would you be able to talk a bit about that mental side? Because I don't know if you went into the W, as you as you said before, you kind of you you look to compete to win, right? You went into that WMBF show, um, uh, the UK one, where you're a little bit disheartened with the result. What was the mental battle like going from that show into the Worlds? Because I know for myself, like the lead up to the show was fairly straightforward, but then between shows, results and stuff can just play in your mind a little bit. Yeah, massively. I mean, I obviously went into that UK show wanting to do my absolute best to win. I think when we got the scorecards back, it was either a point or two points maybe between me and me and Dave in first and second, and then a few more points between me and third. So yeah, obviously I wanted to go in and win, but like I said earlier, the, the thing... I needed was feedback to know, right, okay, well, what was the difference really between me being first and second or second to first and what potential improvements, if any, could I make between the the British and potentially going to the Worlds? And because I knew that there was improvements I could make and there was definitely things posing-wise that could have been improved, my, my back shot wasn't particularly good because I... Was almost having like a bit of a muscle spasm in around one shoulder blade as I was trying to hit kind of that that rear pose. So that shot didn't look great. Um, I mean, it was it was mixed emotions really because like yeah. on one hand, then you've not got as much pressure on you going out to the worlds if you know like you're you're not the number one, you're the number two. But equally, I knew I wanted to go out to the worlds, and as much as like. Like me and Dave went and we trained together in between the, the British and the Worlds, got to know each other a bit more. We both obviously wanted to beat each other and made no kind of <laughs> secret of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was quite nice, actually, to have someone that um, was in the same boat and you were both kind of gunning for the same thing. But without as much as that would have meant one of us might necessarily beat the other, um, there was a good camaraderie in in the, in the camp, I suppose, with, with that side of things. But yeah. If if I didn't know what I could have changed and didn't know there was enough I could change going into the Worlds, then I probably wouldn't have gone for it. And like I said, I had to kind of get it past my missus and my kind of whole home life to kind of give myself the green light to go and do it. Because six weeks between shows is a real crap amount of time. Like it's yeah. not enough time to make drastic improvements. Um, but it's a long enough time that's like it feels like it's really dragging every every yeah. day each each week is tough um 
compared to like 2014, 15, 18, those earlier years I competed, I didn't have a, a one-year-old kid, I think at the time, six months. Um, I uh, Certain times I was single, certain times I wasn't, but I wasn't in a, a long-term relationship that had to be factored in like because it it's rough like it is rough because <laughs> yeah I said it to um said it to Sarah on the WMBF podcast and said the thing is like when you're prepping and if you're prepping like competitively to try and win you've basically got you've got three things you've got to worry about you've got to you've got to worry about your having energy for your work which for me is working in the studio here with one-to-one clients and online clients as well you've got to have energy for um your actual training itself your training your cardio and doing everything you need to do selfishly to prep and then you've got energy for your your home life whether that's your your family your friends your kids and typically you've probably only got energy for two out of those three things yeah. and you can't afford to not do the work in the prep and the training you can't afford to let business slip depending on whatever your work and career is because ultimately you need to get paid to get to get to LA and yeah. do these shows and whatever. So then typically the thing that has to slip a bit is you can't be as present as you'd like to be and be the best dad, the best partner, the best friend to, to anyone that's close to you. And that is the reality really. And if you do want to give it your best and be competitive at the, the top level. So for me, as much as it was difficult, I very much briefed my my girlfriend and anyone around me that would be dealing with me, even down to my clients I work with that, look, this is what I'm doing. If I seem a bit off or a bit low energy, you haven't done anything. It's just, I'm running on fumes at the minute. Yeah. When you get to that level, you, you kind of have to accept that, look, you're going to get into kind of that, that position. It doesn't matter if it's men's physique, bodybuilding. If you're going to be competitive when you step on stage, you are not going to be feeling 110% in that kind of maybe six weeks, maybe eight weeks out from, from competing. It's just yeah. the, the reality of it. But if people aren't prepared for that around you, then you're going to make your life really, really difficult. Yeah. So the, the experience of knowing everything I knew in that sense then made it easier to, to deal with for the sake of last year and managing all of that. Uh, huge respect to you because I know how hard it is to, to do, you know, a prep without the pressure of having, you've got a, uh, a little one now. Um, I can only imagine how difficult that is. And a lot of my clients have young families as well. And I, one of the guys that took stage last year, he he had a, a family, his wife was pregnant. And I was like, that's amazing. Like you've been able to do go through this prep. Um, so it's inspiring to hear from guys like yourself. Um, and, um, you know, you run a busy, busy business as well. And a lot of a lot of guys don't think it can be done. They're like, you know what, I've got family and that, but you you prove that it can be. Um, and and how how do you kind of navigate that sort of um, routine and that schedule between family life, business, and perhaps some social time to yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've definitely refined over the years. And again, if I look back at when I was starting in it all in like 2014, 2015, it was very different to how it is now. Um, it's uh, the best term I can kind of have for it is it's just, it's lifestyle design. It's yeah. figuring out, okay, how can you involve people in certain elements of your prep? So if you've got a step count to make, 
then right there's no reason why you can't do elements of that with whether it's friends family little ones it's a lot easier to do that than it is do just cardio and have them watching you whilst you're on a stairmaster or, or whatever right so yeah you've got to think of how can you kind of integrate um certain parts of the prep into kind of normal life like that the other side of it for me where i've been fortunate is as you can see or at least a bit of it i'm sat in my kind of private studio which i have at home so i can work essentially from home on site i mean yeah. i could I'd probably throw a tennis ball from here to the, to the to the window where my little one is at the moment with my other half so it's good that i don't then have to worry about a commute i save that time if I have a split kind of day like today where I've had a couple of clients earlier and I'll have a couple of clients later this afternoon, it's not a big deal. Whereas if the gym was 20 minutes away from me and I've got to get to and from the gym twice in the same day, all of a sudden the practicality of the day is not, not quite right. Um, but that's something that I'd work towards. I knew kind of from a long way out, I wanted to have that kind of set up in my life. And the same with having online clients as well. Right, that obviously gives you more flexibility than just having a one-to-one -one client base. And I pretty much at the minute work kind of 50% online with clients and 50% in person. Whereas back when, again, 2014, 15, 16 were years where I was purely in person and I was maybe in the gym with clients 30 to 40 hours a week. Whereas now it's more like 15 hours a week. Yeah. So, so yeah, trying to, trying to make it all kind of marry up just comes down to um, trying to be as practical as you can. And again, it depends what your career path is as well. Some people I know that compete love being employed so they don't have to worry about all the extra stuff you do when you are self-employed. Um, other people can't stand the idea of being employed when they're on prep, they'd, they'd rather be self-employed so they can manipulate their hours what, for what makes more sense. Like I wouldn't typically have taken clients on when I was prepping. I've just kind of held business where it was. And then if I come out of prep, then I can look to kind of lift my workload a little bit. Yeah. But the training from home thing was obviously a massive help and has been for, well, ever since kind of just before COVID, I set up my, my gym space here. So my whole training regime for the last, what, four years has been training from home in essentially like a glorified garage gym. So, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to have lots of prime equipment and all of the fancy stuff that you get in kind of modern age gyms. But the reality is like, I've got a few machines, squat rack, cables, dumbbells. I've got what I need. And simplicity is, uh, is yeah. underrated a lot of the time when it comes to training. I think you see all this across social media. Eh? Everyone's the latest kit, the Cybex kit, and all, all this um, fancy kit. I mean, mo most of my training I've done out of a pure gym, um, and it's only recently I moved to Glasgow and I've got access to to more of a bodybuilding style gym. But um, you know, it's it's funny to see like you make the same progress with like basic kit and basics. And I mean, your setup I've seen it on social media is is really cool. Anyway. Um, I think that obviously massively helps with you having it nearby. Um, I can I can imagine you know like navigating sort of like that business and family life is a little bit easier in that sense as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Even down to the, like being able to have my little girl 
in the gym with me, yeah, like, as safely as possible. Um, back back then when I was prepping, she wasn't on the move. She wasn't old enough to go and run around anywhere. Now it's yeah. a bit different. I have to think again about how I do it. <laughs> I have to like tie her to a piece of kit. But back then it was it was a it was simple. But I couldn't just walk into a a commercial gym with a baby carrier and knock out a few sets of back squat it's just not going to be practical so yeah yeah my situation is quite unique in in that sense but like I say it was something I'd seen from a long way out that I wanted to work towards in in my life and my career to to make everything kind of work how I wanted it to so yeah it's been been a long time coming but absolutely worth it worth the effort worth the the money um and yeah that's why I kind of nudge people quite often if they can to set up some kind of a, a garage training space i think there's a lot to be said for it not to use it all the time i'll still go to a commercial gym if i have the chance to go train with someone for, or change of scenery yeah. but when you've got kind of a default of well if i'm short on time and i can get a session done in like 45 minutes from home like some people will drive 25 minutes to a gym and 25 minutes back right yeah. and i can do a whole session in that amount of time just where I am so it is a, a good little hack for me no absolutely um and your business is Brisbane fit is that right yeah um, correct who, who do you kind of help is it competitors or is it more sort of general pop or guys looking to put muscle on who's your who's your sort of clientele yeah so I mean when I started out it was like everyone you you put yourself out there to help everyone you can and you you learn a lot about who you do want to help and you don't want to help and who you're good with and who you're not so good with. Yeah. Um, as years have gone on, obviously my kind of area of expertise has got more towards body composition clients, whether that be fat loss, muscle gain, some combination of the two. Typically, um, typically busy, busy guys. Um, I work with females one-to-one as well. Um, and I I've never actually prepped or coached anybody to compete. It's something I've always said is such a hard job to do a good job of that. I just don't want the stress to be honest with you. I don't want the yeah. aggro, but how much, um, how much time and attention it requires and the, the type of people that you're working with in that sense as well. Like it's just a lot to, to shoulder. It's a lot easier for me and a lot less stressful for me. The idea of working with, normal people that want to just achieve a result where they've got a little bit less fat and a little bit more muscle than the next, the next guy or girl and want to achieve kind of that more kind of cover model look, I suppose. Um, I've got a lot of admiration for people who do prep clients to compete, um, that do a good job of it, but it is such a, a hard job to do a good job of. Um, it's just not something that, has really kind of lit a fire enough in me to go, you know what, I'll I'll uh, I'll take someone through a whole prep to compete. Like I've helped guys out that have messaged me or even down to like the posing side of things. I'm more than happy to give advice to anyone who wants to take it or I'll do like one-to-one consultations, but to actually take charge of a prep isn't something I've ever done and probably not something I would ever do. Like, yeah, they're a bit nuts and yeah. <laughs> like in some some ways a good way some ways not such a good way um some i've seen it where 
some competitors or people who want to compete are this far away from an eating disorder or have got full-on physique dysmorphia. And let's face it, we've all got a bit of physique dysmorphia to a degree, mm-hmm. but the difference between having a bit of it or having so much of it that you end up in a bad space mental health-wise. And if you are teetering on that line on, on, on any of those respects, then going and standing in your pants on stage being judged and being told you either are or aren't good enough is probably a really bad idea. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't want to staple my name to, to somebody potentially who might be in that situation and then feel some responsibility if, if they then have a bad experience and it pushes them over the edge with it. So yeah. bit of a, a dark hole, I know, but that's kind of my, uh, my, my, my stance on it when it comes to kind of work and the clients I would work with anyway. No, I totally agree. I think it is a huge weight on your shoulders taking. I've I've taken a few competitors now to stage and thankfully for me, it's been a positive experience for all them, but I can see how it it can go quite easily wrong. And I see, I see a lot of coaches with, you know, upwards of 50 plus clients and they're taking to, you know, the stage and stuff. Um, And in one year, I'm like, how do you navigate that? Like, how do you manage it on top of that? Like, Obviously, we're natural, but there's obviously coaches out there who are putting in whatever sort of gear they're using with certain clients, and I'm like, that's another responsibility to to take care mm-hmm. of. Like, I would, I couldn't imagine like risking someone's health like that. Um, so yeah, it's it's a tough job, um, and I think there's a reason. The Sorry, other, ahead, the other side of it that's really tough as well is managing people's expectations because yeah. Let's face it, competing is a really popular thing to do now. There's multiple federations, there's competitions every other weekend if you want to go do one. But at the end of the day, there's only one winner when it comes to like each category. So the odds are against you as a competitor, whether you're going to win or not when it comes to like the maths of it. But there's a lot of competitors that go to shows expecting to win. And in some ways, if they've been prepped by a, by a prep coach or whatever, then it's your responsibility as a coach to set a reasonable expect expectation to your client of what, what they should be going in aiming for. And yeah. I've seen guys go to shows that, I mean, anyone can stand on stage. Like it's not that if you are not muscly enough or you're not lean enough, you can't do it, but everybody should have a reasonable expectation of what to expect standing on stage. And I've seen guys that, don't look particularly competitive and walk off like like Conor McGregor, like the, thinking that they should have should have won. And I think who's telling you you should have won? Because like yeah. it's it's day and night, like between who's competitive and who's not. Sometimes, um, but I think some coaches. Uh, again, I'm, it's not like I can name names, even if uh, even I was if I was asked, but. Um, it's a, it must be a tough thing to, to tell someone potentially who wants to go and compete and wants to try and win. Yeah, we can get you to compete, but realistically, you're five years away from putting on enough muscle to mm. go and win at these competitive shows. Um, and maybe, I don't know, if if someone's honest, then all of a sudden it's not so alluring to someone to want to go and compete. And if you're a, you're a coach that wants to have X amount of clients, then maybe not going to be too good for business if you're putting too many people off competing because you're telling them, well, you can compete, but don't go in thinking you're going to win. Yeah. Right? It's easy to blow smoke 
and say, yeah, yeah, mate, we're going to look great. We're going to look fantastic. That's where I've enjoyed training people up to things like photo shoots, because if you can get someone to the point where they look better than they've ever looked in terms of what they want to look like, you get some great pictures of them that document the process. Mm. Amazing. Fantastic. They'll always have those photographs. They'll always be able to look back at that. But if you get someone in that, that same shape and they think they look great, they feel great, but then they go to compete and they've got an expectation of winning and they don't and they don't place. And then all of a sudden they don't look at the fact that they've, they've got into the best shape they've ever been in. They're downhearted about the fact that they've done no good in the competition and they overlook yeah. the fact that they've actually got into fantastic shape. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's like, that's the risk you run sometimes if you're going to put yourself in, in that situation. But whereas a photo shoot, you're going to look great. You're going to document it. You're not comparing yourself against anyone else. You literally have like photographic evidence of your best shape and there's nothing to kind of detract away from that. Competing yeah. skews that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mention all this because I actually did a post on this the other day on setting your expectations, especially as a first timer going in. Um, mm. And I think it is so important, but you're quite right. You know, a photo shoot, you're not comparing yourself to anyone else. It's just you versus you um and if you don't quite get the result you want in that first ever season you do it can put a real downer on the whole process and what should be like a very rewarding process and a process where you learn a lot about yourself it will completely kind of um dampen that i guess 100 percent. yeah um awesome awesome have you got plans for competing um this year or in the future what's what's the pro debut looking like well this is it like like i said to you i went to compete last year with every intention of trying to win but it didn't actually really enter my mind what would then be the outcome or the kind of goal set up around if i was going to kind of get pro status win a pro card it wasn't and never really has been about getting a pro card and yeah. being in that bracket um it it's just more been about winning and doing a little bit better, win a regional show, then win a British, and then who knows, get to world standard. But being being a pro or anything like that was never really on my radar. Um, but now obviously I'm there and I look at like the position that I've got to. In some ways, I'd feel it was a bit of a waste if I didn't go and use that pro card to just see where I where I stand and obviously go to that next level um but it's it's a tricky one because like we were saying off air i don't feel like i've got a ton more muscle i need to put on to be competitive as a as a pro um but you do need to take enough time out to just reset physically reset mentally um before you go back into a, a phase of dieting and getting back to a a physical state where let's face it it's tough and it does take time to both get there and to uh, recover afterwards um i'm still 50 50 on this year yeah. if i'm completely honest there was some of me that was looking at that big burj khalifa trophy um in dubai thinking hmm, uh fancy that yeah <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't got a trophy as, as big or as pretty as that one um yeah. but like we were saying, it's what, 12 weeks away now. So I may well be cutting it a bit fine to to get myself in gear to 
be ready for for that. It would be more likely now that if I was to compete this year, it would be um, potentially very close to the the worlds out in Seattle. So it might be say go out to Germany, do their WMBF Pro Show, and then go straight from Germany to Seattle. Because um, as a pro, you've got to do uh, one of the pro shows round round the world to then pre-qualify to go to the world championships. So that would be the way that would make most sense. And that's yeah. November. Um, but with juggling, trying to push business a little bit harder, like I say, my little one, instead of being a little potato just sat in a, in a, in a carrier nicely now, she's crawling, she's trying to walk around, so I've got to manage that. I'm trying to do a house renovation at the moment for for us as a family and navigate through that. Um, so there's a lot on this year. Yeah. So it depends how much I can get done by kind of the back end of the summer. If I get to the back end of the summer and I feel like I'm, I'm managing things well and I'm at a point with business where I'm happy to just hold it rather than try and keep growing it, then it would potentially be more tempting to go to to the world and potentially Germany beforehand for um with the WMBF. If if not, then maybe the year after. But I suppose the problem I've got is the older, and I'm told that the older your kids get, the harder it gets all the way to about 18. So yeah. like it's it's never going to be easier than it is this year in a lot of ways. And I'm no spring chicken either. Like I'm 31, 32 later this year. And when it comes back to what you get rewarded for in men's physique, I've got a short shelf life in men's physique compared to bodybuilding. Again, you're not getting judged from the neck up, right? Yeah. But there is an element of you need to be to a degree fresh face, fresh faced and kind of tick those boxes commercially. If you do want to kind of be somewhat of the full package when it comes to men's physique, that's yeah. Uh, I don't know if they have an over 40s or a masters in WNBF men's physique, but there's, I'm not probably not going to wait till then, <laughs> but yeah, that, that seems to be new. I know, I know the UK DFB have just recently introduced the masters category in men's physique. I'm not sure about the WNBF, but I don't think yeah. it's the case at the world's anyway, but yeah, but there's definitely a, um, a sweet spot where like, with men's physique, if you want to do well at the top level, you've got to be old enough that you've got the muscle maturity, but not so old that you look like the oldest person in the class. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's what I've noticed anyway. And a lot of the, the lads that are coming up in it, obviously it attracts the younger guys typically. Um, but there there is something to be said for like the, if you get to kind of like your your mid-20s, early 30s, that is your sweet spot, depending on like muscle maturity unless you're unless you're a freak like uh like jovan who yeah. won the his pro card at the british and won the the medium and won i don't know how many other shows last year and he's early 20s i want to say yeah i've, I've had them on the podcast and I, I keep mentioning them in every single episode because it was like a complete anomaly from from last year like i, I don't think anyone had heard about him and then he just went and no, come out of nowhere but like there's there's not shows full of Jovans like Jovan. Yeah, I've, I've seen it like through social media as well. Like you don't want to discredit the fact that he trains hard. He trains well. Like he's strong. Like he's a strong boy. Like yeah. But when you've got that plus the genetics as well, like world's your oyster. Like yeah. it'll be really interesting to see 
where he goes with it in in the next few years. But I'm glad he's at my height class anyway. Yeah. What what, what <laughs> height is Julian? He's uh, tall or? I think he was in the mediums at the. Mediums, yeah. yeah, but how how tall exactly? I don't don't quite know. But yeah, if yeah. you're in an overall up against him, then good luck. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so do you have um I was gonna ask this, I think um I think I've probably asked it before to one to one of the other guys. Um, but do you have um a certain time frame for holding that pro status? Is it like two years or um not entirely sure to be honest, because I'm sure I read somewhere that you've got to compete at least once a year, which I'm hoping yeah. isn't the case <laughs> because like it doesn't give you much time really. And if you are in that category of like if you say you're a bodybuilder and you're a little bit on the lighter side, you you need more than a year out to really make enough of a difference to progress as a bodybuilder. Yeah. So I, I don't know exactly. It's something I would have to ask the guys. Um, I'd have to ask Steph and Andy specifically. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure there have been, well, in the same way, um, Josh and Harry, who got their pro status, in 2021 obviously yeah. have taken that 2022 and now are competing in 2023 so yeah i don't know maybe it is that you get just that single year out it's not that you have to compete once every year if that makes yeah, sense yeah i i think it i actually think it's different um from the uk to the us and i think that's where the difference is i think if you okay. obtain a pro card wmba i think that's it i think if you obtain a wmba pro card in the us you have to compete year on year whereas in the uh, UK, it might be every two years, or they might not have a time frame on it at all. Because, um, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know too many WMBF pros from the UK who are, um, other than obviously yourself and Josh and that who are men's physique. But, um, yeah, um, I imagine, I imagine every two years, I think, or something like that. Yeah, as, as a natural, you've got to have time out to make that progress doesn't matter what category you're in like yeah. there's no like, when i look back at like 2018 to when i got to 2022 like there definitely was more physical difference there in terms of like muscle maturity and just overall progress compared to say back when i started and i'd gone like i think it was 2014 15 16 there wasn't really much difference in my physique from 14 to 16 compared to 18 to 2022 for just having that extra time off and there there is like I say that mental aspect to it as well like you do yeah. need that time out to really reset recharge and be, be prepared to go again hard otherwise yeah. you you're going to struggle yeah there's a recovery time like especially being a natural it takes it takes a while to recover after that you know it's a big toll toll on your health as well so um I would mm. hope I it is the two that years. was probably the hardest part of the prep last year that I came back from LA the very end of November, going into kind of obviously the Christmas build-up, and my other half and friends, family members were kind of like, okay, well, you're done now. You can eat what you want. You can do what you want. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much food you eat, whether you try and reverse diet, you go hell for leather and just fill your boots and put on 30 pounds in three weeks. Like Mentally as well as physically, things don't just go back to normal and you've got that kind of post-competition blues element as well and yeah. in a way even worse if you've done well like I'll be really honest like from December was like I don't want to use the word depressing but it was hard to come back down to earth a bit after kind of the euphoria 
of of November and getting such an accolade of like winning the worlds to just then trying to settle back into normal life, but other people just expecting you to be back to a hundred percent energy, feeling good. You have to accept the fact, obviously you can't stay as lean as you've got used to being and you kind of look at everything every day and critique it. It's, it's not fun to look no. at yourself and see fat going on a lot of the time. Um, yeah. But you have to accept and deal with that as you kind of recover after you've you've competed and yeah. that's something that even after nearly 10 years of, of competing i still find tough definitely easier than it has been but it's it's not an easy easy part of the prep the kind of the aftermath if anything it's part of the hardest part i think yeah yeah i i totally totally agree with you there and resonate with that because it is it is so tough and you you think in your own head as well you're like okay month time I'll be back to normal but it just takes so much longer than you think to actually kind of feel normal and hormones to go back to normal etc um, and as you say dealing with that mentally body fat going on because you need to put bo- a bit of body fat on after an extreme diet yeah. for especially if you're dieting for 25 weeks plus you know you've had a really long season you need to get body fat on for your for your own health um, and it is tough mentally it's really challenging um absolutely having said all that and with your with your experience um do you have any advice for first-time competitors or perhaps just people looking to get into shape any common mistakes Mm -hmm. you see people making as well probably just expecting too much too quick and like those first shows i competed in in 2014 that was what nearly what was it eight years into my actual training journey and albeit like the first few years were like lifting Argos dumbbells and not having a scooby-doo what I was doing but there was a lot of time committed to training before I even thought about getting on stage whereas now a lot of people are thinking about getting on stage like within like that first year of training and seriously thinking about like okay right well what's the show dates when what category could I do and as much as it's great to be enthusiastic, you do also have to be realistic about um, how long it's going to take you to get in a position where you can be competitive because like, as the years go by, the whether it's untested, whether it's tested, the standard is higher and higher because more and more people want to, want to compete, want to do well, and there is only so many winner spots. Um, so, yeah, you have to have realistic expectations of, how much progress you can make, how quickly you can make it. And that's where speaking to the right people is so important. I personally have never had anyone coach me. Um, and that's not really been a deliberate thing. It's just the way it's the way it's happened. Um, yeah. Being coached by someone to compete didn't really become a thing until eight, nine, 10 years into my training journey. But by that point, I'd kind of figured out enough in my physique and food and training and whatnot to know what I like doing, what I didn't like doing. Um, but a lot of people, I think, even if it's just speaking to other, whether it's other competitors that have done what you want to do, like going into competing last year, even though I'd competed, I don't know, 13, 14 times before going into last year's season, I still sought out the advice from Josh who had gone and, um, got his pro card and came third in the world 
the year before because he'd done it with the federation I was thinking about competing with. Um, yeah. I went to him for advice, asked about the posing side of things, asking about what they were looking for, asking about his experience, similar with speaking to, to Steph about the posing side of things there. Um, so, yeah, anyone who wants to compete, you've really got to know who are the best people to go and speak to. Like the WMBF put on these workshops through the year as well, some up in Scotland, some down in London, some in the Midlands. And that's a great opportunity to go and ask direct questions to whether it's competitors that are there, whether it's the the, the guys, Andy and Steph, who, who run the WMBF UK. Um, you've got to be willing to ask the right people the right questions to really know one, where you're at, and two, kind of what you need to do to fill the gap from where you're at to where you need to be if you want to win. It's as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to just try and figure it out yourself through like scrolling social media and watching a few videos like you're not going to give yourself the the best chance so when it comes to competing that would be my my best advice when it comes to just getting in shape it comes back to kind of what i've said about my regime you've got to make it practical like the average person that does work hard in their career maybe they do have a family maybe they don't maybe they want to they can't commit to being in the gym five times a week um traveling to and from the gym without it being super practical so you've got to think right how do i make it practical do i just make sure i train close to where i live train close to where i work how do i make my work kind of complement my my training um and how do you kind of keep a balance between things you accept when you prep to compete like i said with those three things you spend your energy on you expect there is going to be an imbalance in your life whilst you prep if you want to do well. But if you just want to get in shape, you've, you've completely fucked it if you don't really do it in a way where you're striving for, for that balance. Like I'll always say to clients, my, like my personal clients, look, if, if you're getting the best out of this whole health and fitness thing, then health and fitness should complement every area of your life rather than you having to sacrifice and give everything up for the sake of pursuing being fit and healthy. Yeah. But that's my job to help them navigate that and figure out what that looks like for them in their everyday life between everything they've got to juggle. And yeah. obviously that's specific to the individual. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, I think uh, for, for your gen pop as well, like what you were saying um, about the expectations Things applies the same way for someone who is just looking to get in shape. You know, you're not going to look like that men's physique cover model. Um, you know, if if you are, you know, if realistically what you're committing is three days a week, um, you, I guess you can get to a really good point. Um, but it's going to take time as well, and I think a lot of people expect, oh, if I do this, um, thing for you know six months, I'm going to get in really good shape. Um, and I think trying to take that on as a, a new lifestyle, like it's for a lot of people, it's a complete shift for people who are just like looking to get into to shape. Yeah, it really is. And it's like, for me, like I'm only training three or four times a week at the moment, like, and really trying to maximize quality over quantity. And yeah, with kind of trying to always tell my clients and speak through social media about that side of things as well. Like it's, it's presenting it to people and making them understand that, look, you can get to a really good level with just training three, maybe four times a week. 
if you're training less than that, when it comes to putting muscle on, it's probably not going to cut it. But quality is always going to trump quantity when it comes to, to training. And it's something that kind of obviously you get better with as you kind of become uh, a better performer of exercises and doing what you need to do in the gym. Um, when I started out, I was training every day and like it was like abs and chest day every day. Like no no questions asked, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of crunches and every chest version of like every different type of press up under the sun. Like, yeah. now, like I probably train less than I've ever trained. Um, but the, the quality of the training is as good as I feel I can, can make it. Um, but it's always going to be easier to maintain kind of keeping at a certain level where I would deem I am now rather than trying to exceed and go to another level. Um, so there is that side of it too, just because I'll say to my clients, look, just because I can get away with training three times a week, like, and look at a certain way, it doesn't mean that you're, you training three times a week is going to instantly look like that. You've got to, you've got to put some money in the bank and just keep building up, building up, building up. And that uh, it, you'll get to a certain point where you can kind of live off the interest. And that's yeah. kind of where I feel like you can, you can get to with it, depending on obviously how much muscle you want to build. That's a good, good analogy. Actually. I like that a lot. I've never heard that. Uh, one, I, but yeah. I use it with a lot of clients and I say, look, you're, you're, you're the equivalent of like, you're in debt. You've got like credit cards coming out of your ears. You've taken out a loan and we've got to get you back to kind of positive equity. And yeah. we get to that point. Great. Then we can start, building up some cash in the bank and work on getting you to a point where you can um, do similar stuff to what I do, where I might go out and have a meal and I'm not tracking it. I'm not worrying about what it is. I'm not making kind of a good specific choice on a menu. I'm enjoying it because I'm I'm living off the interest, like because I've banked years and years and years worth of like getting my metabolism to a certain point, getting my muscle mass to a certain point, getting all of my other meals in the week and all my other activity spot on. But don't be asking me about cheap meals and refeeds when you've got like credit card debt, loans and all the rest of it. We need to like make up for all the money you've been spending. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then we can talk. Yeah, that's it. I think I think if you really are looking for that big transformation, be prepared for that graft initially and then eventually. Yeah, there's, no dress it up. there's no way to dress it up. And that's like I put it out in a few stories the last couple of days, like. I think it was one of my most recent posts, which was just like, don't don't be afraid of or trying to dodge the fact that you're going to have to work hard. Like yeah. whether you want to compete, whether you want to just get in better shape than like the average guy. Like when it comes to putting on muscle, you're not doing that with no effort. Like it's yeah. going like, to be there's going to be some pain involved, and it's going to be consistent, and you're going to have to be persistent. Um, but if you're constantly looking for like an easier way or a more efficient way or a way to kind of just duck and dive past like doing the hard stuff, you're, you're just wasting time. Like yeah. if it was if it was as easy as that, then there'd be a lot more people that would be kind of using that particular hack or like cheat system and everyone would be in great shape. And it's just not the case. Ask anyone who's in yeah. shape. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know you're a busy man, Charlie. So I usually finish this question for for all my guests on the podcast. Um, it might put you on the spot a little bit, but um, uh, hit me. Any, <laughs> any big life lessons from your bodybuilding journey so far 
Um, yeah. I suppose it is just what we kind of touched on there. It is that like anything good takes time and great stuff takes even longer. Like yeah. it's just the reality of it. Like generally like the, the bigger and the better the thing is, the more kind of valued it is, the longer and the more effort it is going to take for you to obtain it. Like, go back to the competing and the pro card thing and whatever. Right? And I think Andy talked about this a little while ago and it really kind of hit a spot with me. And I thought, yeah, you're absolutely right. When there's a lot of young guys coming in to compete and it might be their first year competing. They might have trained for two, three, four years. Like I've trained for nearly 15 years before I was like in a position to even be in contention for a pro card and be a, a world champion and get to that level. Right. So you have to be prepared to put the time in, but also put the effort in, in that time. It's the thing that bugs me the most in the gym. When you see people that turn up day in, day out, day in, day out, they've got no problem putting the time in, but the time is nothing without the effort. Don't, don't be sitting on the leg extension, sending text messages and checking Instagram and whatever. Like you need to put that time in and the time needs to be put in well. And, and that's where like I have respect for anyone who's like achieved anything in terms of like getting in great shape, whether they're competing or not, because like it is a direct kind of reflection that they have been willing to do that. And if you're willing to do that in your training, then you're going to be willing to do it in everything else in life, whether that's like put in time with your, with your family, with your other half, with your, with your work, with your, with your job, with your, uh, your career, if you're self-employed, like, like I say, my career in terms of what I do with clients now started back in like my university gym in like 2000 and what, 2010, 11, 12, maybe. Like, and it's more than 10 years on where I've got to the point where I've been able to like set up my, my training space and do it all in a way that I want to do it to come back to that thing of complementing other areas of my life. So yeah. Yeah, like there, there is no shortcuts when it comes to training and getting in great shape. And there isn't many shortcuts in all that other stuff either when it comes to happy home life, happy career, and generally happy life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's brilliant, actually. Um, I mean, it's the same with me. I, I've not got a pro card yet. Um, I've been training for maybe 10, 11 years. Um, and <laughs> there's a lot of guys going in there two years into training. I'm going to get a pro card this year. It's like it's it's a lot of graft here. The perfect example that I've been competing since 2014, um, and it's unbelievable uh, to see to see your journey. I think I saw your post on um, social media the other day with you sharing the photos from each from each year or each time you competed, and you can see the progressions year in year, um, mm. and that's actually really cool to see, and just shows you the time frame, especially as a natural athlete, how long that takes. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be talking about years. And yeah. and it is why it's so important that like, you enjoy how you train as well. Like I know yeah. how I train. There's a lot of guys based on like what gets pushed a lot and what's kind of on trend and cool in terms of like training and how a, a lot of stuff's put out there at the moment that would look at some of my training and go, what the hell is he doing? That's too much of that. That's not enough of that. That's not a full one of those. Like, but I... I train in a way that like I enjoy my training. I, I know that it does the job like for what I want it to do and for how I enjoy doing it. 
Um, yeah. I'm not saying don't ever do anything different or don't be looking to, to learn new stuff. That's always a valuable thing to do. And especially when it comes to like getting the other side of your 30s and you want longevity, of course. Um, but ultimately, if you don't kind of enjoy your training, you're, you're never going to stick to it long enough and put in enough hard yards to to make the progress you, you say you want to make in the in the long term. But like, it's only really when I prep that all of a sudden you get to a point where training does get to a point where it feels like a chore all the rest of the time. It's like, I, I train because I, I love to train, not because, Oh, I need to train because I need to put on five pounds of muscle in the off season to compete again in a year or two years. Like it's just, I do it because I do it and I want to do it and I enjoy doing it. Yes. And yeah. That's the other thing people have got to be, be mindful of when they go into, into the gym, like enjoy it, enjoy the process of doing it. Cause now at this point now where I've got a pro card, I'll, I'll never kind of enjoy the process of getting one again. Like, so enjoy every, every step of it. Like I remember the first show I won in 2014 and that's arguably up there with the worlds for how kind of euphoric it felt. Like, but once I'd got to that level and won a regional, the only kind of, I remember the next few shows I won, it was almost just a relief to win until yeah. I'd got another level that I'd kind of got to kind of challenging for a British title. And then I was like, oh, okay, buzzing again. Yeah. And then you do that and you go, ah, oh, now I need to get to another level. And it obviously gets harder. So you've got to enjoy every step of the way. Yeah, absolutely. I think as much as us bodybuilders are, I don't know what we call ourselves, men's, for me anyway, men's physique athlete, whatever. Um, yeah. as much as we put pressure on on ourselves um it's so important to enjoy the journey you're not you're not going to stick to this long term if you don't like the way of training and you know it is the style of training we do i guess is can be repetitive and a lot of people don't like that and um, so if it's not serving you both mentally and physically then that's that's probably a point where you should switch it up but um if you're in this for the long term um you need to enjoy it <laughs> yeah absolutely otherwise like it doesn't matter if you just want to get fitter and healthier and like say have a bit more muscle and a bit less fat than the average person or you want to go all the way to stand on stage in your pants like yeah if there's not an element of enjoyment around it from what you're eating to how you're training to how you make that all kind of managed within the other stuff you do in your life then no chance and i if i think of all of my most successful clients over the years the ones that have achieved the, the the best results and the long-term results that's exactly why they achieved what they achieved yeah not because they were like doing anything super magical or cutting edge yeah absolutely absolutely well charlie um charlie it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast um i'm sure the listeners have got a lot of value out of all all those questions that i asked um i sorry i certainly have i've got some takeaway points for myself um, but if the listeners want to follow you, where where can they go and follow you at? Uh, best place would be Instagram, just Charlie Brisbane. There won't be many of them, so you'll probably find me easy enough. Um, I always say, look, drop me a message if it's anything to like inquire around, like competing and everything. Like I say, I don't coach people to compete, but I know people who are very good at it, and I'm more than happy to put people in contact with the people I think would serve them best, and equally. If they just want to ask me any any questions, then I'll, I'll always do my best to to get back to to people on things from from posing to federations to just general kind of questions. Then more than happy to 
to have them in the in the DMs. Uh, but yeah, Instagram's probably the way to go. Epic. Well, thanks guys for listening and I will catch you on the next episode.